0: Hello faithful listeners. Welcome back to another episode of book study discussions with the University of Alberta's Tolkien Society, The Last Alliance. Please join us as we discuss the Siege of Gondor and the fall of the realm of Sauron. It's going to be a pretty wild ride, so hang on tight. So, um, what was everyone's favorite part of the chapters? Homeward Bound and the Scouring of the Shire, which is, I think, as Rob said, the longest book in the, sorry, the longest chapter in the entire trilogy.
1: I'm going to have to read them after this. Um,
0: <laughs> um Let's start with Robert, and then I, I don't know how to do orders with this because we're not in a circle. Just, just shout, I guess. <laughs>
2: um, oh man, so many good things in here. It's it's just a really important um couple of chapters, and uh, I do like um the mention of Lobelia, and that's going to come up in the next chapter as well. Um. But I like the the thought of her just like, "Hey, get off my lawn!" With her umbrella, I'm trying to attack these these ruffians with it. Um,
1: from what I recall, I really no no it's fine. Don't no, you don't need to look at me while I'm talking. <laughs> from from what I recall, I really like. The fact that Mary and Pippin just arrived back in the Shire and they're like, are you fucking kidding me? What is this nonsense? We just passed through a war and these idiots that we know are like gonna fight us. <laughs> Chumps. I do like that part too. I like the scouring of the Shire as a whole. great
0: chapter i think i nothing really was like oh man this is the moment in um whatchamacallit in the scouring of the sire chapter but in the homeward bound chapter um gandalf going to go talk to tom bombadil just like grabbed me for some reason and i'm like Oh my gosh, the amount of stuff I would do and money I would pay to be present to that conversation. Wow, that would be spectacular. Tom Bombadil and Gandalf having a chat. <laughs> that, that's what got me.
3: I liked the bit where um, Butterbur found out that the king is, is Strider. <laughs> I thought that was really, that was really neat. Um, and just kind of the, the almost like relief that he has. Anyway, I thought it was a nice kind of thing. It was like, oh, the king is actually this human being that I know. So yeah, I liked that bit. I haven't
4: had a chance to reread any of the chapters I was because I just found out about this last night. So, um, but I do find, um, just seeing everything in a Hobbit context, quite interesting. Um, as Sam says, it kind of, but it is, Frodo says like, this is Mordor, but it's in like a Hobbit context. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to kind of see that difference and also kind of see, um, I guess, Frodo still carrying through like that kind of idea of the pity of Bilbo, even with Sourman who's come and messed up the entire Shire would probably deserve whatever he had coming to him at this point.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that everyone? Not quite.
1: Mm. Yeah. No,
0: that was everyone. All right. In that case, let's start. So we can talk about Homeward Bound first because it comes first, but then we'll spend most of the time obviously talking about the Scouring of the Shire.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, So really, the only major things that happen in Homeward Bound are um, Frodo realizing that life will never be the same for him personally, and his wound at Weathertop, and then arriving at Bree. And the first kind of hints that something is not right in the Shire, and the conversation with Barlow. Let's talk about Frodo's wound first. Um, did anyone find this to be, like, particularly noteworthy?
1: It's really interesting to me that, like, that Gandalf doesn't say anything. Like, when Frodo says, where shall I find rest, Gandalf doesn't say anything. Which is interesting, coming as it does with, like, Gandalf's knowledge that Arwen... Has given him her place on the ship, right? Like I'm sure Gandalf knows that Arwen told Frodo that he would have a place. So it's interesting that Gandalf's like, "Oh well, you know, you'll go to Valinor or something like that." He's just like, "You won't, you won't find rest. There's no rest." He just doesn't say anything. And that's kind of like very. It's very. Gandalf as clearly a mire of Nienna because, you know, it's sad. Well, also it gives me the impression that like um, he he knows that Frodo already knows. Like his reaction implies that he doesn't need to tell Frodo. Frodo might not have consciously accepted it, but Frodo knows. <laughs>
0: Mhm. Yeah. Um it's kind of an unspoken truth, right? And and Frodo is is a very intelligent person throughout the entire thing. Um always looking ahead, always looking at deeper meanings, I think. Um and it it's they both know that Frodo knows, right? Um they don't have to say that out loud. Yeah.
4: Porto already anticipates in this moment that he'll come back to the Shire but it's not going to be the same for him just on a personal level because he's not the same never mind all the things he doesn't know about what's happening in the Shire at this time but yeah, the sense that he's been so changed by his experiences there's no
0: going back to his previous self yeah, and it's so neat Cause it's it's an imperfect hero's journey, hey. Usually the hero's journey is you you have your status quo, you go out from your status quo, you change, you come back, and you have the status quo and you're changed. Like that's always there, but you enter into the status quo in a new way, something like that. Um, whereas Frodo can't go home, not really, right? And he, he's never at rest again, um, which I don't think that's that's as standard for a hero's journey.
4: Um, Well, it's perhaps less triumphant of a hero's journey because typically you'd expect, like, ah, the hero comes back and now he's got, like, if you look at it from a folkloric point of view, ah, the hero comes back and he's married the princess or got the riches or saved the day or whatever. And I mean, like, technically saving the day, sure. But especially as we see the scouring of the Shire unfold, it's not really... Frodo coming back triumphant to even save the day in the Shire. Um, So, yeah, I would say in that way, it kind of breaks that mold for sure.
1: I want to build off of that, too, and say that, like, um, it's even more powerful. And you can see even more clearly that Tolkien's deliberately breaking that mold because the other Hobbits, in many ways, fit it like Merry and Pippin come back triumphant and like they fit they do kind of fit back into the status quo like they're princes now but they were princes to begin with um so they like they've come back and they're these like heroic figures they're larger than life like quite literally because they grew ha huh? oh tolkien um but yeah you see that sense of like returning home as a different person but now you're like this big hero um, you see other aspects, I think, of that narrative with Sam, maybe like a, I don't know, truer uh, portrayal of it because you you even mentioned coming back and marrying the princess. Like Sam marries his princess. Sam, Sam gets his girl. Right, so you have that very like standard narrative, like coming back and marrying the girl and also becoming a figure of authority in the community. Um, and so I think the fact that for the other hobbits, their adventure worked out like that makes Frodo sacrifice all the more like poignant.
0: Yeah, yeah, the other the other hobbits do have a more standard hero's journey, absolutely. Um, wild. Um, and I also like, like both of these chapters, I find, um, yeah, um, apologies. Um, they, they they're really, a, a meditation on evil, right. Um, and the effects of evil and the fact that, um, a life sucks <laughs> and, and what, and what happens after, after an evil thing, even if you, you do the right thing in it? Um, and the answer is, there's no going back. And there's no real, entirely satisfying explanation. Um, there's no, to use fancy words, um, there's, there's no perfect theodicy that'll explain away evil and make it all okay. That's not how this works. Um, but you just move forward anyway. And that's kind of epic, I think.
1: Define theodicy.
0: Um, a, um response to the problem of evil. Why is there evil if God is good? Okay. Yeah. Maintaining that there can be a good God and there be evil at the same time. It's a whole whole philosophical tradition, actually. It's pretty pretty fascinating stuff
1: i mean, like I know that tradition exists i just didn't know that it was called that
0: no no. i think it's i think it's greek theos dikas yeah defense of god something like that or account yeah that would be it nice thanks taryn <laughs> cool well in that case let's move on to going to Brie and barlamin um who said this was their favorite part? I think Sadie said that this was their I favorite. Part.
3: Yeah, I liked him. Why is that? Why? Why is uh, that? I think uh, I think I resonate with the the homelier characters a little bit in this book. Um, and he was just kind of that um that sign for me that is like, okay, things are are going wrong. Um and he's feeling the effects of it, but he's still able to like be hospitable and to welcome people and and just his, I mentioned his like relief about um, this this Grand King that he's heard about being Strider and, and that kind of bringing some relief. He, sa- he says something along the lines of, um, it'll be better for Bree or so somebody says something about it being better for Bree uh, and just kind of that familiarity i like
0: that bit yeah yeah it's also you know just oh hi eloise (laughs) um just so you know your mic is off eloise um the 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 just the rural aspect of it again you know we haven't i don't think we've seen it really much in the return of the king Tolkien's love of the rural life and simple things. Well, there's there's always glimpses, right? Um, but now it comes out real strong. Um, and it reminds me of Small Town Berta, and I like it.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> I also think it's really funny, the, um, the way knowing that Strider is the king um, recontextualizes that relationship for Butterbird. Like, he was always thinking that Strider was this, you know, dodgy kind of guy. <laughs> don't, don't necessarily trust him. Um, but, like, now he sees all that, and then you, like, it's really just, like, a neat little, little nod to the um, beginning of the series.
1: I also think it's kind of fitting in the sense of... Um, the idea of the return of the king. Like, we've seen the return of the king to Gondor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, was someone gonna say something?
2: Like, Ryan's phone vibrated.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs>
2: um,
1: <laughs> but yeah, so we've seen the return of the king to Gondor. Um, and now, and they've been. It's, it's a return in, in two different senses, like it almost feels like wordplay. The return of the king to Gondor, they haven't been waiting for Aragorn specifically, but they've been waiting for a king for a very long time. Um, but Aragorn is going to be the king of both Gondor and Arnor. And so in this chapter, you also get the return of the king, the return of the king to Arnor, but in this sense it doesn't mean like the people there have been waiting for someone to fill this position like it did in Gondor it means Aragorn literally grew up here and was this guy people knew, and now he's coming back also he's the king, get it? it's the return of the king Um, (laughs) but like on a thematic level, it's kind of really cool to see the very different ways that Aragorn as king interacts with the two different halves of his kingdom And like, it's really just heartwarming to see that he can come back here and people are like, oh, that guy we know? Oh, that's the king? Oh, that makes us feel a lot better. And I like to, kind of what I like from it is the sense that um, Aragorn has been in a very, real sense taking care of these people all along. He hasn't been the king he's been doing all of the same things that he will now do in a different capacity. Looking after them and making sure they are from the wild and from robbers. Um, He's been doing that all along. That's what the Rangers have been doing for them. Um, And Butterbur points this out. He's like we didn't know, like, the are always like, man, they're creepy. We didn't (laughs) know that they were protecting us from wolves this whole time. Um, And Gandalf is like, oh yeah, they're coming back. But also, like, Aragorn will look after you now. He's been doing this all (laughs) along. Um, And that's that's really interesting, because when you think about questions of who Aragorn is as a leader, um, like, the fact that he spent his whole life looking after his subject, even if they don't know that, um, even if there was there, um, a possibility that um, he he's put his whole life into these people of Ardor, and that's really interesting. I also find it really funny that, like, Everyone is talking about how the king loves his beer and has been here a lot. And Butterbur's like, what the heck are you talking about? And someone's like, it's Strider, you idiot. <laughs> like, how's Barlow supposed to know? <laughs> how is he supposed to know that the king was Strider?
5: <laughs> that is a bit similar to uh, what Gandalf is doing to the hobbits. It's like, yeah, the king is waiting for you. Oh, and the king and the king and the king. And then i <laughs> yeah, are like okay <laughs> and then, like, strider what the fuck get up you couldn't see that film freaking earlier and grandpa's like oops i might have forgot to mention that sorry
1: everyone being like the king the king the king and then someone sees him is like the king is strider and everyone's like yeah didn't you know <laughs>
4: <laughs> obviously guys <Yeah.
1: laughs> you didn't know the first time you saw him jeez
2: (laughs) it's funny that sam of all people is the one (laughs) on him for haven't you figured this out yet come on man right
1: (laughs) (laughs) well obviously because sam's like getting sam gets to feel superior because somebody pulled this exact trick on him (laughs) (laughs) it's great Well, we're still on this chapter.
4: Um, I would also like to maybe discuss um, kind of, I guess, how the Hobbits still assume Gandalf is going to come with them near the end here. Um, Where they're like, oh, well, it looks like some things are going wrong. But, oh, we've got Gandalf. And Gandalf is like, ah, no, actually, you don't. You're like, you're all good now and trained up and you don't really need me anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: I found that kind of interesting, um, so it might be worthwhile to discuss Gandalf's role and particularly it reminds me of um, how A, like Frodo and Sam have had to do everything without Gandalf being there to help them. And also it reminds me a little bit of in The Hobbit how Gandalf's like, well, you didn't think I was going to come with you, like, all the way, did you? Like, we, we, temper your expectations, everyone. <laughs> I
1: have other jobs. Yeah. It reminds me so much of The Hobbit, too. <laughs> um,
0: and I think what Gandalf's doing with those hobbits and um, what we can learn from Aragorn, um are are really similar in that like, hey, it's just this, this normal person that we all know and love or, or don't love in, in Aragorn's case. But um there's but like the fact that they're they're not just normal, right? The normal person is not just normal, is, is something spectacular and, and wonderful and dignified. Um that that's that's the case with everybody, right? I think that's one of the main messages of the chapter, is like Normal people are spectacular um, as far as their dignity goes, so that's kind of cool.
1: got
0: okay, daughter Garrison. Well, hi, Garrison. Um, right. Yeah, I okay. I think it would be fun to do a um a, a comparison between the chapter. Strider and this one, in terms of the relationship between Gandalf and Strider and barlaman um, <laughs> and the Hobbits, and then this one here, right? Um, and just see how the relationships have changed, how the personalities have changed, stuff like that. That could be pretty epic.
1: Well, I mean, it's really interesting, like, even before this, right, in terms of the way that the people relate to the Hobbits, the people relate to the Hobbits, like, they're all like, man everyone kind of looks amazed that we survived and our home and then later realize that it's not that they survived because no one has any idea what happened with them. It's that they're all dressed like princes and they look very fancy um, and kind of terrifying. And that their whole relationship with um, Brie has shifted in the sense that when they are at the beginning when they're going out to Brie. Brie is that intermediary place between the Shire and the big world, and they're sort of in awe of Brie. Um, they're like these backcountry people who are now coming to Brie and are like, they have beer and pints, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's like, wow, there's a lot of people here, the kind of people that we've never seen before. And now one, they're that kind of people that no one's ever seen before. And coming back to Brie is, instead of this movement into something greater, a way back into their, the smaller affairs of the Shire. Um, and also, like, it seems, it seems small and, and cozy and quiet compared to the world that they've been living in, as opposed to being a bit scary, and like this completely new thing. And that's really interesting. That kind of liminal space that Brie is occupying.
5: With those two chapters, uh, I kind of see, like at least through The Hobbits, a form of fairy tale telling. Not in the sense that like, everything's happy for her but it's like in the sense of this child that goes out and comes back grown up and capable and it's like they go out and it's like you know i don't know if you remember it, as a child going to a city that was slightly bigger than yours or like oh you didn't go often there and it was like the a big thing and then when you go there for like university to study you're like yeah it's this. What is the same city? Like it seems so much bigger and fantastic when I was a kid, and then it's like no, it's just a city, you know. Or like oh, it's a cool city, but it's still just a city in comparison to what you imagine it to be as a child. And then I feel breeze a bit like that for the hobbits. It's like wow, so big, and then they come like yeah, it's nice, but it's not as big as we imagined it we remember it to be or as terrifying as i remember it to be or whatever and also the fact that gandalf is like oh yeah no you're on your own now um is also similar to this idea that yes i was there to kind of guide you protect you like lead you to where you're supposed to be or like where it's Startup safe to be because, like, Frodo and Sam can argue that it was not exactly safe to be there, but you know, (laughs) Um, and but now uh through those, gui- those guidance, you've learned enough that you can do it yourself. And if I stay with you, it's going to hinder you more than it's going to help you, because you're never going to step up to your place and to your capacities. And you always try to rely on someone else when you can actually rely on yourself and your capacities.
4: Well, I think it's interesting to note that the hobbits in this particular case aren't really baffled by gandalf leaving them or that um they're not disturbed by it in the same way um that bilbo and the dwarves were in the hobbit um or even earlier in the lord of the rings where they're like oh now well like gandalf hasn't met us we don't know what to do um you get more of a sense i feel in this chapter that like oh yeah okay we'll uh go and uh, deal with some things then yeah.
1: you don't even really have their their response to the fact that he's leaving um, like they don't even really say anything they're just like you'll come along with us and things will get cleared up and Gandalf's like no you have to do this yourself also I'm going to see Tom Bombadil so like and they're like oh it'd be nice to see Tom Bombadil again but they don't actually like <laughs> Ever say anything about the fact that Gandalf is leaving? He just kind of does so. Um,
2: <clears throat> yeah.
1: Gandalf does kind of a lot of talking on this last page or so about a variety of things, like seeing Kamamago, but also like, better hurry back before the gates are locked. And they're like, gates? And he's like, yeah, there are the gates. And you're kind of like, He's just a good guesser, or is it like, or is he like, he's, he's just like snuck ahead and knows that there are gates in particular, and that's definitely one of the things that has happened?
0: Well, I also thought that was confusing, and then I thought... You know, they actually spent a bit of time at Rivendell. And there were still some Rangers in the north. Um, and so perhaps it was news News reached Rivendell, and Gandalf learned about it there.
5: But then why would the Hobbit not learn about it? Like, why yeah, well, would like, Gandalf receive the new and be like, you know what, let's make a surprise for them. It's going to be so fun, <laughs> you know? It's like... No, it's a great- Gandalf, you have a weird, like, don't ever organize a surprise for me, like, please don't.
1: You, no.
0: <laughs> Note to self, never let Gandalf organize your birthday party.
5: No, 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 you can let him organize your birthday party if you are aware he's doing so. If you're not aware he's doing so, never drop Gandalf in a surprise birthday party for anyone because it's gonna explode, or send you on a quest, or suddenly they will be scouring all over your country and you won't understand why.
1: That is the exact reputation Bilbo complains about him having in The Hobbit.
5: This is fair. I mean, it's not entirely not her. Like Gandalf can pretend to be innocent in all that, but he still he still knows why they have he has this reputation in the Shire. He knows why. He's just pretending it's not that bad. Anyway.
0: All right. So shall we I mean a lot of these themes are gonna continue on to the next chapter. So why don't we talk about the scouring of the Shire? Wait. Um Bill's okay. back. Yeah, Bill's back.
5: Bill's I, back, yes. And safe just, and sound.
2: I just have to express my, my happiness at Bill being alive. Unlike that one animated film where he gets eaten by that thing outside of Moria. <laughs> oof. <laughs> That's
0: a big oof
1: if I've ever heard one. I have an actual thematic comment I could make about that if you want me to. Yes. Great. Right. Okay. So, I think that 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 adaptational post shows a pretty major difference between um, what Tolkien cares about narratively versus what a lot of people care about narratively. Like, one of the points that I like to make when I'm talking about Tolkien and eco criticism is that Tolkien really genuinely cares about plants and animals as individuals and the fact that he so carefully tracks exactly what happens to like every single one of the ponies is just one more sign of that and that difference between Tolkien's view where he's kept track of where Bill is this whole time and the adaptation where they're like oh we'll just have the pony get eaten that seems like a thing that would happen um just shows quite a significant difference in care.
2: That's true, he cares about it in The Hobbit too. Although there they do get eaten, I think, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: but he 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 still cares about it, right? And he also cares about it when it's like the four ponies that they set out with. Like he specific, there's that, that little bit in Fellowship where he says like, it's okay. Like, they weren't eaten by Barrowites. Like, they went out, they met, they, they were much more intelligent than the Hobbits. They found Tom Bombadil's ponies, and then they lived there for a while. And then eventually, like, they went to Bree, and they had good lives.
0: Yeah. Yes. This is true. Um, but yeah, let's move on to the Scarroting of the Shire. Where we can talk more about how Tolkien cares about these little things. Yes, Eloise.
5: Well, if we talk about like the little thing and caring about the little thing, I think it's what makes like Tolkien's writing and world building so important like so great. Because like if you only care about the story like as soon as the story is finished, the world is not interesting to you anymore. Whereas if you care about the details, you can continually build off and build off and build off and like be interested in like what's in this world. Like, like I wouldn't be surprised if Tolkien had like a scrap of paper where he, he has like the genealogy of Bill's pony descendants at one point because he was born and he was like, I wonder what happened to the pony probably had found a a female pony and had baby ponies and it was great and like for some reason Sam took care of those ponies I don't know like you know
1: and like this is so cool considering that this is coming from the man who makes the uh, genealogy of trees a significant plot point yeah (laughs) what a a um, wonderful man And
5: that's why fandom loves this man because there's so much fanfic that can be written about that and about all the potential non-plot points but plot points anyway that can exist in this world anyway back to the to the book and to the actual
0: canon yeah um so there's a lot of things that happen in the scouring of the shire i don't think good or should necessarily talk about every single event. Um, But maybe we can divide it into um, getting to Hobbiton versus, or or Bywater rather, and then being at Bywater and everything that goes down there. And then dealing with Saruman. Those seem to be the three main sections of the chapter. Um, So yeah, on the way to Bywater, they get stopped right at the borders of the Shire, they get stopped on their way to Bywater. Um, they see all these ugly houses. Um, what, what should we say about their, their initial re-entry to the Shire?
1: It's interesting that the first like emphasis that's placed is on borders, um, to me, right? It's like, no, you can't come at this time. Um, it's against the rules. You have to do all of these different things. Um, and... The sense that, like, you're, you're... right to kind of go back and forth, and you're right to... I Like the hobbits, they should lint here. Um, everybody knows them, they recognize them, but you can't come back in. Um, and... Yeah, it's, just, it's it's interesting that that's the first emphasis in place, because it's like, that's how, it's the, it's the way that you begin to emphasize, like, nationalism in general, that's kind of an interesting thing to be building up. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, like, you can't have good hosp- hospitality values and also close your borders.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's, freedom of movement is sort of the first thing that's denied to them, hey?
1: Um, and, and 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 hospitality though, it's oh, not yeah. just that they can't um, go in. It's that there are no inns, and you aren't allowed to take people into your house, and you aren't allowed to eat extra food. Yeah, it's um, like this direct violation of everything that makes hobbits uniquely hospitable, and like heroes would embody hospitality when they go out into the world too. because it's placed on like homeliness um and comfort in hobbit culture and in lord of the rings as a whole like you can clearly see that that is the first thing that's being denied to them Um, which is interesting (laughs) and also (laughs) yeah not just that but also not just like uh against it, like culture and the way that it is, but also that very, very real sense of like, this is a hard border now. It never was, but now it is.
5: I think what struck me the most in that is how they expected, like they come back and they're like, it's gonna be weird because Gandalf states, it was gonna be weird. Um, But they still expected habits to be habits and to like, well, there is a rule, but like you habits, we know you, like, obviously, we're going to bend the rule for you. Like, and like, being habits, like being hospitable is more important than anything else. And they're not like they, they meet habits who are so scared so like and then in less than a year like in less than a year they've been scared into not being habits and not doing what seems natural to them if i make sense and i think that's a, the the strongest of feeling that i get from those chapter, this chapter is that like Even They're not even entering a passive resistance of like, you know what, yes, I'm not supposed to like invite someone in my house, but I'm still a hobbit. And you know what, if you don't catch me inviting someone in my house, I haven't invited someone in my house, (laughs) you know? But no, they're not even doing that. They're like, "No, no, 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 we really can't do that. We really can't do that. And I'm like, what is happening, you know?
1: There's a really strong um, sense of, like, surveillance and a police state, I guess. Um, Like, the chief is all the way up at Bag End, but he'll hear about it. Um, And the chief's big man is right there. So, like, the reason that they can't break the rules and let him in is because there's someone there immediately to see it Mm -hmm. and punish them for it. Um, so it's, yeah, anyhow, um, anyone who's ever read, like, any treatise on totalitarianism at all, like, yeah, I was going to say, you can see how that's really concretely applied. This is, this is published, uh, six years after 1984.
0: Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. For me personally, out of all the things I saw, going through the chapter, being like, "Oh no, the Shire has hurt so much." Um, pretty much everything that was wrong with the Shire hurt me substantially. Um, but the biggest one was just like, "What the heck? There's a government now." Um, <laughs> <laughs> um there's there's bureaucracy and like more police than is necessary had more government workers than is necessary and I was like what the heck um that, that's what bothered me I was like but but the, but the shire is supposed to be like uh, like uh, almost,
1: uh, anarchy. Almost.
0: almost anarchy almost it's supposed to be like anarchy man that works that uh, anyway that bothered me substantially um in, in part because um it was clearly on the road to totalitarianism um and that made me sad
4: I find it interesting in the portrayal, however, that it's largely, they're trapped largely in their minds to an extent. It's a mindset that's really hindering the hobbit. It's like they've given up their hobbit mindset to the expense of this more restrictive and entangling mindset. But really, when we see them later, all they needed to do, like they had the power to throw off this rule and fight back against Sauron. Yeah. So it was really, they were being, in some ways, hindered by, the, by themselves, I guess. And in some ways, I guess you could maybe say, they have to, the rest of the hobbits have to grow up, too.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's definitely, like, on top of those themes of, like, the rest of the Hobbit growing up and kind of, I don't know, taking responsibility for themselves, I guess. I also think it's really interesting how um, you can see the way that they are now evolving from some of the seeds of, like, the nastier Hobbit quote-unquote mindset that you see at the very very beginning of the books Um, like you can kind of see that idea of um, we don't like outsiders here Mm. evolving into this sort of inhospitable closed border policy Um, and I think that's really interesting too that Tolkien explores like the ways that hobbit mindset can turn bad in certain situations as well as the ways that it can, like, emerge triumphant from those same systems.
5: Another thing that's Mm. very hobbysy and turned sour in that case is um, we like our peace. And uh, honestly, how much of, like, what's happening in the scarring and of the situation describing the scarring would have been avoided if, like, when Lotho starts to be like all pedantic and all everyone's like, okay, like now you shut down, we're done with you. Like you being a bitch right now. So stop that, you know, cause like, <laughs> well, probably not in those terms They probably would have phrased it much better, but you know, like if they had accepted to disturb the peace for a moment to calm down Lotho when he was still only Lotho and Lobelia against the the habits and no outsider bigger and nastier and more willing to torture and kill well a whole bunch of that could have been avoided and like it's like the it's painful because i see like it's like it's probably what Tolkien saw in Germany probably so in other countries at the time and that's what I'm seeing currently, like in some country in <laughs> France, uh, where people like you, you have the fight of like you have people who like want their peace so bad, like they don't want the, the, the status quo to be disturbed, even though they see something that is going to be breaking the status quo negatively for everyone. So, like, but you know, that would be mean. Oh, or uh, we, we have to let everyone express themselves. Like, no, at one point you have to put down your feet, like you, you to, to put down your boundaries and be like, no, that is not acceptable. We will break our peace because that is not okay. And like the habits by wanting to be so much at peace and no problems and like being kind of mild in that term, like, Kind of like, oh, well, maybe it's going to go away. It's going to go away. If you don't look at it, it's going to go away. And it doesn't. It gets worse until at one point they look up and they're like, how do we get out of there? And they need four people being uh, being like, okay, so that's not acceptable. Now the only solution is to literally fight by kicking those people in the butt or killing them if they really, really, like are dangerous because some of them are and we don't want to get to that extreme but like we will have to anyway i got carried away
0: no thank you um I, i i i i totally agree right it's the it's the natural hobbity tendencies which are generally good but not perfect um turning to evil, right? It's the same thing we've seen with evil throughout everything that Tolkien's ever written. It's a manipulation of something that's already there Um, and a privation and a corruption. Um, And it's, the hobbits are peaceful. In this case, they were too peaceful, right? Um, Something like that, except for the Tooks. Wow, spectacular.
5: I think it's because they mistook peace for quiet instead of for like fairness. Like a system is truly at peace and truly peaceful when everyone is treated fairly, not when everything's quiet and the status quo is not
1: disturbed. Peace requires justice. Yeah, exactly.
5: And they were like, okay, we're not sure whether or not it's fair or just or okay, but it's not like breaking down houses or like evicting people, so it's fine. And then suddenly you have people being locked down, including Lotho's mom and Lotho himself, um, who even died, you know. Uh, and yeah, like it's a slippery slope.
0: <laughs> the slippery slope. So. For what it's worth, um, I'm not sure if this is conscious on Tolkien's part, but what I see him doing is kind of um, what what happens with real life anarchies, right? He's making the Shire pretty real, um, and in the little bit of anarchical theory I've read, um, since I think anarchy cool, um, is kind of cool, is the problem is there's no way to keep it from becoming like feudalism or totalitarianism, right? There's there's no to to stop people from abusing anarchy you need some sort of enforcement system um and if you have some sort of enforcement system is it really anarchy question mark um and and like it's it's an incredibly tough balance to have right where you have this this kind of free-for-all peaceful nobody interferes society um as opposed to um having an organization that keeps it in check um and it, it's hard to, to strike that balance if it's even possible.
5: I guess it would depend where the organization come from. Like, is it like a third party we install as an organization to keep peace? Or is it like, for example, like Lobelia being arrested? Is it Lobelia standing up for herself and her neighbors getting out there and be like, okay, get out now, leave her alone, don't take her? Or like just being covered in their houses and not, because like, that if like the community enforcing their own rules or protecting their own members is a form of enforcement. But I would like I don't know much about anarchy, but it doesn't seem very governmental. It's just what you do, you know. Exactly, like,
0: exactly what it is. And is that good enough? Is the question. And this is this is a very real, real playing out of an anarchical society, which I think is cool.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: But yeah, like I think, like in this sense, like the hobbies even failed to take responsibility for their own community because, like, like yes, they don't feel really like Lobelia, but like as they all say, she stood up for herself. She said like that, "What the fuck is happening here?" And yes, it's not a very hot. Like it's it's a low. It's Lobelia, so everyone was like, "Ah, oh, she's finally out of us." But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but who's in there instead of her? Like, don't we? prefers a, like, nasty old lady who screams at everyone and complains about everything and steals Silver Spoon uh, to the people who could potentially kill us if that pleases them, you know? And, like, yes, uh, like, they admire the fact she stood up for herself, but at the same time, they, like, as I said, no one stood out and be like, Called all the neighbors and be like, okay, no, you leave this old lady alone. Like, you, you don't do that. That's just not, no. Yeah. And I mean, Lotha was also really dumb in thinking that being rich would be enough. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. No. But like, yeah.
0: Yes. All right. Um, let us move on from anarchy. Um, we can talk about other Hobbity values that have been corrupted um, or become problematic in all this, or we can start to talk about the muster in the battle at Bywater. Which is also connected to Hobbit qualities. It is, it is. In that case, let us talk about Bywater. So um, they arrive after being arrested, question mark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the most chill oh. arrest ever happened
1: i love um, how they are arrested and they just continue to be like we're not being arrested yeah and everyone's like well, you're being arrested and they're like yeah okay whatever just you know what you go we'll come and then we'll do what we want they like drive them in front of them <laughs> it's so funny and everyone's like we are being arrested you've broken the law and they're like yeah sure we're being ar- yeah. we're being arrested you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> legendary Oh, it was spectacular it was very hobbity
1: yeah um, and the sense that like in coming back they're like they're annoyed <laughs> but they're also like we're not the thing about having been away and like you know hung out with aragorn and destroyed an evil ring is that suddenly it kind of feels like uh the um Judgment of your fellow hobbits upon you doesn't mean. So it's kind of like, like you can arrest us, but you can't hold us. You can't even really make us feel bad about what we did. <laughs> this is—it's the sense that like the hobbits, even though they they love them, are are silly for arresting them, and that's kind of an interesting approach to take to it, because um, it's, it's from the outside that you see, it only, it's only from the outside that you can see how insubstantial the authority is. Their authority is, right? Like, for hobbits who have been living here through the gradual increase of rules and regulations and the gradual changing of their entire way of life, this is very real and substantial, and you can't do anything about it. Um, it takes someone coming from outside to say, you, "You don't have to believe in their authority. You can just not do that. You don't have to agree to these things. Um, and that's like an interest and it's an interesting perspective on authority, but it's also an interesting way that they kind of laugh at it. Um, they're annoyed, but they also kind of find it them, them silly and insubstantial. Um is it's a it's a powerful weapon, I guess.
5: Because also like a tiny bit of the, the of that bothers me in the sense that yes Mary, Pippin, Frodo and Sam can stand up to that because they're from the outside, but also because um, well first if they shot, most of them like they they have pretty efficient armor. So like they they, they already have like more gears to fight. like just per se so there's like yes they have not they have not lived through that but they also have um more uh, confidence in their personal security and their capacity to out like outdo the, the arms that could come to them from disobeying like um even if it's funny and like it ends up in a good place because like the hobbits are following them and the the, the shire is called and like everyone's saved. Um but like in a way I'd argue that for example like again going back to Lobelia, she stood up with her umbrella in yeah. a dress. Like <laughs> she had no chance from the beginning. Like she like not believing in the authority is not the only thing.
1: Yeah, because, it was not the only thing, but
5: it's yeah, it's it does hard. help. Like ob- obviously, it does help because like once a group of hobbits realize that wait, we can just not believe in their authority and we are actually more numerous and stronger than them and we can outsmart them by playing on the fact they underestimate us because of our size. Yes, they do have power, but like at the same time, the attitude like like four you take four hobbits from the Shire. Who are not those four and you don't necessarily have the same balance or yeah. like
1: well that's and so it's like they need to bring their, their mm. to the people but they need all the people to do it like if you just had Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin trying to oust all of the people from the Shire like they wouldn't have succeeded by themselves yeah. they succeed because they can call because they can call everyone else to arms Right, like if you it, just in the four of them, they may have done pretty well because you know they're armored and armed, but they still would have been overtaken um, mm. uh, eventually. And that's so it's, it's you need that that mentality, that outside understanding, right? Um, but you do also need like to unify.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, nothing that the four hobbits do when they come back. um, They're not, they're explicitly not trying to shake up the Shire or be like, you know what, to fix this, you need to be more like us and less like the Shire. Um, They're trying to rouse up something that's already in the Shire. Um, Right? That's why Tom Cotton is so awesome and important is um, this like, hey, Hey, you ruffians, get off my lawn. Um, that, that feeling is very hobbity. Um, and it, it is the real force behind all of this and the battle by water, I think, I dare say. Which is why the Tooks are so important too also, right? They're, they're um, already doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so the, the revolution is very, very hobbity. It just needs um, an outside perspective to get it going.
1: It took murderous to be time to help her mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Anyhow, I like the one of Buckland. Um, I like that it's something that comes from the fellowship when like there's a Nazgul and then comes back around here to be like, fear, fire, foes, except it's not like some weird spectral guy from the outside anymore. It's us. Awake, awake. Yeah. unite against your oppressor.
0: Fear, fire, foes, awake. Man, Merry and Pippin are so metal. I love it.
5: I <laughs> <Hey. clears
0: throat>
5: I also really like how like blowing the horn of Gondor or like, no, the horn of Rohan, I think, by Mary is already such a strong step in rallying people, but not only rallying, but like making them do more than look out at the window and be like, who's doing all that noise outside? That's the game, the rules. Uh, like, they, they're like, wait, that's not a noise that we usually have in the Shire. That means, yeah, I think I'm not okay with what's happening now. Let's go fight. Like, I'm I'm summarizing and like packing together, but it's like, I read it like that. I felt, it felt like this horn has this power to like hit you in the get and be like, okay, so now you get your head out of the sand, stop pretending nothing's happening and you fight back. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because it's from Rohan and they're like so epic in their blood and everything they do that even their horns have the epicness in them and in the sounds they produce. But I, I I loved it. I was like, yay horns of Rohan. I love you. You're great.
1: <laughs> I like the really in that part where he's he's going to blow the horn. Um, the horn is like the concrete example of like. Mary having been away and become and like changed and grown. um, The fact that he has the Horn of Rohan is a concrete example, but the how he uses it, um, the fact that he's like, no, we can't get undercover, like this, the fact that he understands the strategies that have been used and how to counter them, or the fact that he's like, you know what, I've got. Have one weapon, it's a horn, but I also have this knowledge of my people. Like, you can kind of see him really coming into his own, and how being in Rohan and you know, being the squire of Faiden and stuff but, but lets him come into his own, and the kind of person that he needs to be in the Shire. I just I love that. Suddenly, Mary is, like, the strategist. That's so cool. And you've kind of seen him grow in that, and you've seen that quality in him from the beginning, and now he's going to use it to, like, mount an active resistance.
0: Captain Mary has a very nice ring to it, I think. Very nice ring. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that we don't get to really see very much of that that aspect in Pippin in this chapter. Like we know it's there, right? He goes and gets the the yeah. um, but you know he's the prince of the Shire, really. Um, and he's also, and that's going to play out a whole bunch more in the next chapter and in the appendice, appendices. Yeah. Um, but we don't see it just now. We we see Merry, um, coming into his own.
1: But you're also seeing that, like, those two things, they're different characters, and they've spent time with different kinds of leaders.
2: Mm.
1: Right? Like, as we come to the next chapters, where Pippin comes into his own a bit more, you'll see um, the way that Pippin is equipped to lead people as well. But, like, he spent his time with people who are stewards. Not with the Rohirrim who well-being, like, it's not that Theoden couldn't have been a good king in peacetime, and sure he was, but spent a lot of time in that sort of, like, wartime strategizing mindset.
4: Well, if we're thinking about how the hobbits operate as different leaders and due to their influences on, um, from who they've learned from, I think it would be interesting then to consider Frodo, um, in this regard, um, I guess, is a foil a little bit to Mary and Pippin and their style of leadership in everything that unfolds here. Because Frodo is, I mean, I think Mary and Pippin are very, like, they're very martial. They're like, we will mount this resistance and we'll do this. Whereas Frodo is almost like the, but remember the people side of things. Hobbits will be affected. This is going to have long term effects. So he's almost like that, like this quiet voice underneath it all is like let's try and avoid killing one. And kind of that idea of pity, which we have seen as a through thread all the way from the hobbit where he, you, know, even Saruman at this point even people who have Wreck the shire, and this will still deserve pity and compassion.
1: It's the candle.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So wow.
0: Who, who would have seen that? Um. Um, and I think what well, we don't really see Sam's leadership in this chapter because this is not not his area to be. Here. <coughs> but we will see it in the next chapter right um and him becoming the mayor and all of that um and it's going to be awesome um and he's very much a leader in his own right right like he he becomes the mayor of the shire um he becomes a family man he he does an incredible amount of stuff um but it's it's very much his own type of leadership
5: I think what's great with the group of those four hobbits is how like like they balance each other out like um I would like tweak a little bit the comment of Pippin spending time with stewards he spent time with soldiers a bit with Gandalf he so far mere. he like he helped him yes but like the very much ma- the, the the relationship he built was that with Berrigan and Bregill uh oh sorry if I mis- mispronounce the name um and like so in this situation is just like everyone's fitting into place you know like um you have on the one you have Mary who spent time with the king of um of the Rohirrim in a wartime and who's immediately taking the lead, saying, like, making plans, organizing soldiers, like, etc., etc. Then you have Pupin, who spent time with a soldier to, like, who, yes, would obey orders, but also would keep his own conscience and be like, yeah, I think I'm going to disobey this order because it seems very and, and productive and um, so Pippin follows that he's like yeah like at the moment Mary's giving sensible orders and he's taking like a good leadership and I'm gonna follow him uh, but also if anything if he missteps or do something very careless I'm also ready to step in and be like okay so, so Mary's that's bullshit go rest I'm taking all, like, I'm, I'm giving all this now. And Frodo, ha- being having had the leadership of Gandalf, who describes himself as a steward, and not a warring steward, like the Gondorine, what steward's were or are doing World of the Ring, like, as a steward, like, someone who has to take care of things on a long-term thing. And, like, for Gandalf, it's a very long-term. Um, like, it's... No, and also the fact that further on, personal experience has a lot of like uh, emotional and like mental scaring from his quest. I think he's like, yeah, we could kill them. But five months, five years down, five decades down the line, who like, how are we going to look back on that, on ourselves killing other people, or putting habits in danger? Or so he also like he pre take care of things. Like I can take, like I I I will do what I can now, but I'm also planning for the future, which Gandalf would do. And Sam is like, my job is to grow things. My job is to like I'm good at I'm a gardener. I'm I'm good at gardening and making things grow and making things beautiful and building stuff. So it's only normal he waits for the rebuilding time, like the reconstruction time to step in and do his job. Because like he's like in the in his relationship with Frodo, he was very much the support. He's like, I didn't get the emotional scaring. I was the one who was dealing Oh, when do we eat? What do we eat? Do we have water? Uh, are we protected for the heat? Are we protected from the weapons or whatever? Um, like he was very much the logistic support of the army of two. He was with brother uh, So like even if Sam's role is not very developed I wouldn't be surprised if he was like okay so everyone has a weapon everyone has eaten we're ready for battle basically like kind of the mom of the battle and then when it's time to like clean up the mess he's like okay so that's how we clean up the mess and I really like that all four of them have the strength and not only know their own strengths and weaknesses, but also know each other's strengths and weaknesses and who to rely on in which situation. And which is why like when Frodo is like, maybe we shouldn't kill them or we should at least try not to. And Mary's like, yes, you're right. It would be much easier to just kill them all. But I guess you have a point. So everyone try hard not to kill them, but also don't get killed. That'd be, that'd be better. Yeah, yeah. They have a nice dynamic, I love it. And then further freak accident. out. <laughs> anyway, floor to someone else. Don't let me speak for the remainder of the hour, please.
1: I mean, I could
0: there we go. Thank you. Um, Would we like to say more about the Battle of Bywater or do we want to move on to moving into Hobbiton and Bag End? Um,
4: Let's discuss uh, Hobbiton and Bag End, perhaps.
0: I think so. There's quite a bit there. So we arrive. In Hobbiton, and we meet Ted Sandyman. Um, oof. Um, the shocking
1: turn
0: of events. <laughs> a shocking turn of events, but like he's—I think he's really important, right? Um, in that, you know, not not every Hobbit is perfect. Um, that's not the message here. It's not that no one has gone over to the other side, or wasn't wanting to go over to the other side even before people arrived. Um, that's not the right message here. Um, and then we see all these disgusting buildings and chopped down party trees, ouch, Um, in Hobbiton, and eventually we get to Bag End. Um, Initial thoughts on all that?
4: Just looking at um, kind of the destruction of the Shire in general, I find it interesting how um, Tolkien uses the change in the landscape and the surroundings to illustrate the change that's taken place on a deeper level. Um, And in particular, kind of this emphasis that gets destruction for the pleasure of destruction and ugliness, like pleasure in the ugliness of things. I.
5: Not yet. Talking about that, um, there was this line where they were talking about uh, they just cut down trees and let them rot, and I'm not entirely sure. But like, I don't know if like the movie is fucking on my head and they put that in tributes, mouth in the movies, or if he also said that in the book. But like, he s- mentioned something similar, I think, but I'm not sure.
1: We have oh, just... similar language in the books in the Athelian chapters. Yeah. Okay. And of um trees' bodies being hewed wantonly and mm-hmm. left out in the open. So this is definitely the second time, at least the second time in the books that we're talking about like I don't know. Like we're talking about trees the same way that you would talk about like disrespectful bodies in like grief of like human bodies in Greek mythology, almost like like somehow the killing is even worse when you're not even like respecting the end, like
0: the point. Mm. Yeah, it's it's wanton destruction, destruction for the sake of destruction. We had a chap. When we were talking, when we were going through Mordor about whether or not Sauron wanted Mordor to look the way it does, Um, or whether he would prefer it to be green fields um, because he wants good things, hypothetically, or whether or not he takes delight in destroying the environment. Um, And (laughs) we made a decision. Um, But this, this, for me, because this is still the spirit of Mordor, spirit of Isengard, um, tends towards just destroying things just because. Just because it's beautiful, I want it gone. Um, I don't want it for my own, I want it destroyed. Um, Seems to be the vibe.
1: Yes, probably, and it's not because it's beautiful, it's because it's not yours. If you go right back to the Aen Right? That's the underlying sense of Morgoth's choice to be like, from Melkor right from the beginning is like, well, other people did things, but it was not one, what I wanted to do, and I didn't have control over it, so I will wreck it. Um, because that's, as, that's what I need mean, to have control over it. Um. And that mentality then stems all the way down, uh, Melkor teaches it to Sauron, and Sauron teaches it to Saruman, it's, it's think, that, that I just want yours to control and to, to dominate and to make when you, you dominate it by between things that are made by other people, like you can't, those can't stand, I think. Well, also, it's it's that language of um, hating things that are beautiful and free. Um, and when it comes to evil and Tolkien, there's generally like a couple different reasons for that, partly what Sarah was saying, that you cannot control them. Uh, partly because they remind you that there's something beyond you which is partly tied to control but it's also partly tied to that, um, that idea of cutting yourself off from the world of being only able to interact with it through consumption um, and that you see coming up a lot with evil things so like somebody did a really interesting analysis of Gollum and the ways in which he's like repelled by the natural world. Um, and their idea wasn't that Gollum is like counter to nature. The idea was that Gollum can really only interact or find pleasure with things through eating them, like through literal, like literal consumption. Like eating eggs, eating live fish—that idea of like eating life—he is incapable of enjoying the sun or the moon or like the smell of stew or like the sight of a nice garden. Like any of those things that involve interacting with the world as it is, like as it is letting, like letting it be its own thing. Um, And I think you see that happening here too. Like the very sight of a tree becomes a torment because as you have fallen farther and farther into evil, you are disconnected from any way of interacting with the world around you that isn't consuming it, whether it's like turning it to your own purposes or literally eating it or burning it, again, for your own purposes. Which, like, comes back to sort of, like, your encounter with Um Sandiman here. Um, is that, like, they, they've cut down the party tree. It's basically a quarry in front of Beggot Row here. Um, and Sandyman says, what did you want to come back for? We've worked to do in the trial now. Um, which is interesting, and especially an interesting thing to say to Sam with a sneer, because Sam is a very hard worker. Um, Sam, Sam's life has been this sort of productive work, right? Building a garden and, and creating something that grows and is beautiful for its own sake, um, as well as providing for you. Um, and that's been Sam's whole life's work. Um, and so there's two things going on one that work has to be like from this perspective work is is only consumptive the same way that everything else is it um has to take and destroy in order to be considered proper proper work um but also that like work has to be a bad thing right like there's yeah. this weird balance work is punishment versus yeah. work is fulfillment there's there's this weird balance in it that like balances the idea that everybody must work um all the time but that work also it ought to be bad you ought to hate doing it um and that's
0: that's no bueno
1: yeah that it's bad <laughs> Um, but it's also kind of like what the mentality that's, that's existing here is like um, Sandyman is kind of like uh, whatever blacksmith from Farmer Giles like you're talking about. He gets, Sunny Sam! Sunny Sam. He gets the delight of people being miserable. Um, because he himself because is miserable. miserable. <laughs> uh, and that's... It's so interesting. Um,
5: about like... I had a point and it flew away. Was it anti-capitalism? Uh not in maintenance. Not. It was maintenance. <laughs> um <laughs> okay, so two years ago I had this class where like we talked about maintenance and how it's not considered as work or in capitalism in capitalism, uh like cleaning your house. It is necessary, but those who do the work you mom <clears throat> is not are not recognized as doing work those who take care of children are not recognized as doing work like all the time you hear oh yeah like why don't you get a job when you're talking to a, a housewife or a house mom is pretty insulting because try staying at home with your kids now everyone's doing it they understand it's work uh, <laughs> and um like the the work Sam does in creating a garden, yes, it's a bit of production. Like he might have bring the seeds, and like he brings the seeds and stuff and stuff. But it's mostly maintenance, making sure there's no weeds, making sure there's water, making sure there like like. And so it's like it's this repetitive work that is overlooked. But unless it's not done, and the Walks uh, like Sandyman's talking about is like walk where you build something and create something. And like it's not a bad it shouldn't be a bad walk in itself. It's just that it cannot be the only thing because like maybe the meal would have looked nice if they had taken care of it from the beginning. At the beginning, like they built it and they make sure it looks nice. And then they take care of like cleaning it. They take care of like maintaining it to make it still look nice in addition to being useful and productive. Um, and so um, this is just, like, I don't know how comfortable, I don't know like how comfortable I am. and. If it keeps this way in like the dichotomy, like the only good work is a maintenance work, and like versus the bad work is a work where you create, because I don't think it's like should be a dichotomy. I think there should be a balance between those two. But I think that's a bit the type of like I still like the fact that maintenance is considered as work, like maintenance as embodied by Sam is considered, is shown as good, necessary, uh, valued, because, spoiler alert, it is not valued and good and seen, like, even, it's not even seen sometime in our society, and that Tolkien would write a, a book that eventually became so popular, where he's like, yes, taking care of plants, where you have to Take the weeds off all the time. Make sure they're watered and stuff. Like this maintenance work is good work, is actual work. It's not like, oh yeah, it just happened. No, it's work. It's all Sam's life. <laughs> so, I think that's the thing. Uh, and in you could argue that him becoming mayor mayor, sorry English, um, is also a form of maintenance. He's maintaining the community beyond his garden.
2: I think if um, you want to find that negative example that you were looking for, maybe um, Gondor and Minas Tirith specifically are kind of the the negative example of only doing maintenance, um, trying to preserve things uh, without Doing anything new or
0: developing something
1: fresh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there is a bunch of really um, explicitly Christian stuff going on in these these last few conversations that I think I, it would be good to point out. Um, one is the the Catholic, the Catholic environment Tolkien was in in you know um, mid nineteen hundreds England. Um, w- was really focused on work, like explicitly, because of the rise of the Soviet Union and dealing with the Cold War and all that. Um, and the main way the Catholic environment dealt with that was to say, work is dignified, it is good, it is beautiful. Um, it's not just about being paid, it's a fundamental part of about being human is producing good things. Um, the, the papacy wrote a whole bunch of letters at the time on this topic um and particularly pointing to that like working in in the adam and eve story working happened before the fall that's part of being in paradise is is working and glorifying and gardening um so that's kind of cool i think the other thing to go back um a hot minute um was about ted sandy man and um despair and that evil people um, have lost their way of seeing something good and delighting in the good Um, and the only thing they can delight in is doing evil something like that Um, which is very sad Um, I'm, i'm curious to see i would be curious to know if this was in tolkien's head but that is um a common theological line there is a line in the gospels where Jesus says, um, "Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has committed an unforgivable sin," um, and it's like, "Whoa, that's crazy. That that's not very Christian. Sins should be forgivable." But the the common answer to that is, um, if you if you despair, if you cut yourself off from the good and say good is bad, um, then there's no way for you to get out of it. You 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 not only have jumped in the hole you have cut off the rope by which you were going to climb out of it. Um, So it's kind of despair with regard to life, I think, is what's really going on in the evil people here, Um, for what it's worth. All right, um, we don't have too much time left. So let us talk about um, the encounter with Saruman. the death of Lotho and Grima and all of that, jazz. Man, this was dark stuff. What, what, <laughs> this was super dark. Um, what 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 popped into your guys' heads?
5: Um, as you were talking about like despairing and being unable to see good, uh, and then jumping to like, let's talk about they're Like, well, that's a perfect example of what you just said. Uh. <laughs> Saruman can't believe there's a good thing like that people see good anymore and that people are good anymore like when Frodo is like I won't kill you because I don't want us to become monsters uh I I think uh if you keep living you might eventually find pleasure again in not hurting people but like in, in in the good things of life and Saruman's like you so looking down on me and so and Frodo's like, what? No, like I want I want you to be better. Like what are you talking about? Like I, I'm I'm not looking like like you can feel how Frodo is not doing that outlook like, of spite or like disdain. He's not disdaining Saruman. He's genuinely against all hope and all others advice. He's genuinely thinking that Saruman could eventually, eventually be saved at one point, and Saruman's like, "Stop being so tedious and like looking down onto me." I was like, I, I'm like, "I'm not," and he totally forgot how to believe in good in people and how what good and healthy relationships look like or like good and healthy people look like. Like he has no idea anymore. And that's very much the tragedy of it all. And I think the saddest is that he convinced Grima of somehow the same. It's like, you've been so horrible. No one can forgive you. So the only hope for you is to be miserable with me rather than like working for forgiveness with others even though Frodo at least twice offers to Grima like you know you like like Grima is twice told yeah you you can just leave him and we actually won't hunt you we actually won't beat you down and if you are like willing to work for forgiveness and like yeah sure if you show good faith, we'll show good faith. Like, we're giving you the benefit of the doubt. And and Saruman is immediately like, no, they're lying to you. Um, they're saying that because they want you to make you, they want to make you even more miserable than I'm making you. They will never forgive you. There's no no such thing as people forgiving each other. And it's, it makes me sad for Saruman, but it makes me even sadder for Grima. Yes. is Saruman's credit. Anyway.
0: No, I, I think that seeing both Grima and Saruman as having despaired of the goodness of life is is a good reading. Um, that's why they're trapped. They don't believe there's goodness left for them outside of hatred and destruction.
5: I mean, in a sense, that's why um I kind of like what they did in the movie. So yes, they entirely passed the scoring of Shia, but like having Theoden of all character tell Grima, we'll forgive you. You are a man of Rohan. You have good in you. And we want to find that. It's so strong and so beautiful. And, and Grima is about to go. Grima is really about to go and be like, like Crawl for forgiveness to his king and believing genuinely that he'll receive it and then Saruman is like, no, these guys a warm and you're a liar. You will never forgive him. You'll treat him worse than I do. Um, there's no saving him. And Grima is like, stop insulting the people who want to help me. You know? Like, it, like in the movie, it has a different feel a little bit than in the book and I really like it. It's not like only for himself that he's striking Saruman. I feel it's also like, how dare you make me believe that Rohirrim are not noble and Rohirrims are gonna like abandon me. And like, I'm not saying that it's not cool in the book too, but like in the movies, they really made a good job out of it. It It's only in the extended version.
0: No, that scene does a very good job. I agree. Um, yeah and that the despair itself is is not something good and beautiful to them right maybe it gives them power but like they understand that they're they are also wretched you know um man that kind of sucks bro
5: yep like it really much comes back to my comment i made i don't know when when we were talking about what makes orcs evil and so mean and when I brought up the fact that uh, it it was similar for me to narcissism like the pathological narcissism where you like have such a low self-esteem that you won't face it and so you will make everyone else around you miserable so you feel a bit better about yourself which is not to say that uh, anyone who's not a profession, professional in mental health care should be like, oh, they need saving because those people are not savable. Uh, they really don't want to what, to to even peek at how miserable they feel. So you won't even like you won't get them to heal because they don't want to. But they will make you absolutely miserable. So you have to heal yourself. And like that's basically what a shire has to do. And like what uh, Frodo is trying to do with Grima is like you don't have to f- to stay with this person who's making you miserable. And like he he he's wrong. You're not a a, a you're not a disgusting thing. You are valuable. And like he's tr- like everyone's trying so hard to keep. To, to take Grima off Saruman's narcissistic gri- grip. Yeah. And Saruman has twisted Grima's version of the world so badly and version of himself so badly that Grima can't believe it. Like, he's too afraid to believe it because what he's known is mostly Saruman and Saruman's version of the world where everyone's mean, everyone is disgusting everyone is like has is worthless and particularly grima and it's so sad and 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 yeah that really really reminds me of like psychiatry talking about narcissism and uh, like the relationship with narcissist people and their victims
1: i think there's also, there's a, like, a really interesting blame game going on between um, Saruman and Grima at the end of this. Like the, the way it, and it's, it's, yeah, there's a, there's a pity that I have for Grima, but it's also interesting. Like Frodo says, no, you can stay, right. You don't have to go with him and Saruman says, well, did you know Grima killed Lothar? Um And Grima immediately turns around because I killed him because you told me to. Um, immediately turns around and says, it wasn't really me, it was you. You told me to do it. And Saruman comes back with, yeah, because you always do what I told you to. Um, and they're they're passing this this blame for the death of Lotho back and forth. It's really interesting because, like, on one hand, yes, like you you pass it off to Saruman because he is he's responsible. He gave the order for it to happen, um, and takes the responsibility for you know having a man killed. But at the same time, you can't. He's right. To, you can't discount the fact that Grima just does what Saruman tells him to no matter how despicable it is um right up to you know killing killing someone um and it's it's just it's the interesting back and forth between two people neither of whom have any particular interest in like the morality of the situation or like who ought to be responsible for something, so much as they have this interest in, like, making the other person carry it, right? And Rima can't understand that Saruman doesn't feel guilty about doing something. Like, Saruman clearly feels no guilt about Lothar's death. Like, he's not like, you know, (laughs) I feel really bad because my, you know, my subject killed your puppet. No. He doesn't. He feels no guilt about the fact that he had his one killed. But Grima does. Grima's clearly like, you make to do terrible things all the time. You ought to feel bad about it. And like, <laughs> No, Grima, you are also just a bad person who like, you're in a bad situation, but also you're a bad person who is stuck around doing things you know are wrong for a very long time. Um, and like, Saruman weaponizes that against him. Weaponizes that sense that like you're stuck now and you can't do anything good because because you followed me and I'm a terrible person and I Saruman is owning that and weaponizing it against Grima and Rima's like ah okay well I'm a terrible person let gonna kill you now we're done.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's there's such there's an no
1: exchange to have to lead up to um. Grimma's choice to to kill him is just that sense that like that that weighs on him, like he can't escape that guilt. But he also like I don't think ever expects to do a good. Thing.
0: There's there's no downplaying of guilt whatsoever um, mm-hmm. by anyone, right? Um, even with Frodo's mercy, um, even with the blame game that Saruman and Grim are doing, there there's no downplaying guilt. They all know that they're horrifyingly guilty. Um, And then Grima doesn't seem to see a way out of it except through destruction even of that.
1: Well, Saruman knows he's guilty, he just doesn't really particularly consider it horrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Alright, we have three minutes left. Um, Is there anything else someone noticed about the scouring of the Shire? Speak now. The The last line of it um let's look at what that was last,
1: the last little bit i guess that's the end of that said sam a nasty end and i wish i had not have seen it but it's a good riddance and the very last end of the war i hope so i hope so said and inside the very last stroke but to think that it should fall here at the very door of the end among all my hopes and fears at least i never expected that i shan't call it the end till we've cleared up the mess said sam gloomily and that'll take a lot of time and work. Right? Right. It's just like like what we were talking about them all having different abilities and like it's like strong suits, you can see that we're now moving into Sam's Sam's area. Sam's the rebuilder and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be a good job.
5: And I think his, like Sam's comment, also is like um, a comment of a carer in the sense that he understands uh, that it's not only taking down the shacks and replanting a tree at the party tree and cleaning the garden, it's also how do we heal the people? How do we make sure? like what do we do from that one? like what what do we do to make sure that um if again someone is trying to become the chief and that's the only person opposing is this the same because the same is like no if this must be a chief in the chair it's me um which i just love it's like that's the only reason the Turks are like against this like no, that's the wrong chief you're following, you idiots. Um but anyway, back, <laughs> back to uh to to that is like how do you make sure that it doesn't happen again? Like in people, because like it's easy to rebuild a house, but how do you make sure that the community is gonna be grown that it's gonna grow stronger from that? And um Sorry, I'm going to make another parallel with the real life. It's like between what happened in Germany after World War II is like, yes, they rebuilt their cities because otherwise they were homeless and they had no other choice. But they also made a gigantic educative walk being like, yes, we decided to ban Nazis', Nazis proper like, talk Not because we're not tolerant and stuff, because we understood there's no benefit in tolerating their talks. We we can't. There's a limit to tolerance, and they hit it. And um, while and and now we see the result. Like on the other side, the big hero of the war, like US, was like, "Yeah, now we're fine. Now it's done." And Germany was like, "Okay, so now." We're starting to the work of rebuilding and making sure it never happens again. And now you have German citizens who are like, What the fuck, US? <laughs> like, how do you have Nazis? How do you have Nazis when we are like punching them in the face? Who are we the one punching Nazis in the face now? What the fuck? Like, what, what happened? And what happened is that, um, US saw this work done when the plan marshal was done. They were like, yeah, we, we, we gave money, the houses are built, they have hospitals now, they have a government, great. And Germany was like, Sam, they were like, yeah, no, we have to teach people how not to do that again. And that, that uh, that's a big deal. Like, And I think that's why Sam is so precious for the Shire, because I don't know what future Tolkien had started to write for the for Middle Earth, but I think that in that future, the Shire would be stronger because of Sam's effort to not only rebuild buildings and gardens, but also rebuild community and like values
1: for people. <laughs>
0: Gardening in both a literal and metaphorical sense. Very nice.
5: Growing a community.
0: Yeah. yeah. Everyone, that is that is our time in this time of timelessness.
5: Um, I mean in theory, I, I like we could keep going for two more hours if we wanted
0: to. Um Brent would can't... hate us,
5: but we
0: could all right then thank you for joining us